when he's humbled. Okay, what else? Esther. Esther? In what sense? Because, I mean, she had that desire to save her nation. Okay. Okay, now you're, you're yeah, and you're, we, we, this is great. <laughs> this, this actually reflects the New Testament usage, what we've heard this morning. This uh, uh, pol- political approach and this desire is the other usage in the New Testament. Okay? And there's actually two different words. Uh, he, she had a godly desire to save her people. Okay? Adam. Okay, tell us about that one quickly. Like God, right. That's a key element, okay? There's pictures like this all the way through Scripture. We were, Roxy and I were looking at one the other day, the king of Tyre in Ezekiel, okay, which is, I think, and I think a lot of scholars think, I'm, I'm not a scholar, but a lot of scholars think is a picture of the Adam of Adam okay um, so there's that there's Genesis 3 let's look at one quickly uh, Genesis, uh, Genesis 11 what happens in Genesis 11 in the first nine verses okay the Tower of Babel okay Now the whole earth had one language in the same words. As people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar. That's, by the way, where kind of the general area where Abraham was called out of. Okay? That's something, when the men were studying this, I didn't think of that, but he was called out of there. And settled there, and they came to one another. Let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So what do we see in this up to this point? What do we see in verse four? What about the pronouns? Right. Yeah. It's all. It's all. It's man focusing on himself and his glory. Okay, and and establishing himself. Okay. Um, what else? Is there anything else there? They want to make a name for themselves. Yeah. Uh, pride, presumption, self, self-promotion. Okay. Rebellion. And, and this, notice that this really immediately turns into uh, a rebellion against God and an, an attempt at ascendancy over God, okay? So, so that's what we see. What's, what would be some of the things that we would hope to see here that we don't see? Instead of making a name for ourselves, 
what would be the opposite? The godly opposite. Huh? Well, or, or promoting the name of God. Yeah. You notice there, there's already a name for God. Man has to make a name for himself. <laughs> uh, uh, back in Genesis 4.26, it, it talks, when it's talking about the godly line, it's talking about, it says, at this time, men started calling on the name of the Lord. I don't know if I want to go there. <laughs> well, they want to stay together. They don't want to be scattered over the earth. Okay. Yeah. And how did that work out for them, by the way? Okay. I mean, it, it, was, almost like, it was almost like they pronounced their own sentence because that's exactly what God did. He dispersed them over the face of the whole earth. It says it twice there in 8 and 9. Um, <clears throat> another thing we would want to see is... Um, contentment with God's definition of mankind and, and individual people. And we'll, we'll get another picture of that in, in a moment. Okay, God, God's not going to stand idly by while this kind of self-promotion, this kind of arrogance takes place. That's part of the story of Genesis 11. Uh, quickly, Psalm 2 um, let me just read part of it here, starting in verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? As if this is the most ignorant thing you could do, is plot against God. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, he, uh, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Okay. Now, what in in God's world? Okay. I'm toying with two different ideas here, and I don't really know quite which one to take. How to take this? But you'll notice that in God's world, <clears throat> it's it's a world of at least at minimum common grace, where where there's good given to all men, all mankind, all men and women. We live under that. Uh, we, we are actually living under God's sovereign rule, and He is providing everything. Okay? Now, <clears throat> they, these rebels here, that's what they're calling the bonds, I think the cords that bind them, God's reality, okay? They want to define their, the reality they live in, but of course they can't do that. Um, he who sits in the heavens laughs, okay? The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying... As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Um, you'll notice here that, that uh, God inaugurates his own plan. They, they set them, so the kings set themselves. God sets his anointed. Okay. Um, 
which plays out over the, the entirety of Scripture. Um, uh, God takes counsel with no one about this. Uh, they, they take counsel together in the rebellion. Uh, and and as, you go, as you go down through this passage, there's a call to return to God's reality, His sovereign rule. And, and it's, it's, it's a path of humility. Uh, blessed are all who take refuge in Him. The very one that, that, that we are under the wrath of, we flee to. Okay? We flee to God in order to escape His wrath. But that's a, that's a path of humility. This is organized rebellion against God. It's a refusal to live in the, the world that God created under his sovereign rule. And without denigrating the insane, I think the word for that is insanity. Okay? Um, Psalm 8, 9, and 10. Okay, I'm not going to look at all of these uh, in detail, but there's some things I want to point out. It's interesting that Psalm 8 and Psalm 910, I'm going to put those together because they actually do go together. They form one psalm. Um, you can see that from the structure. Um, it's interesting that these are together because in Psalm 8 we have, um, a, as in Genesis 1 and 2, man is given a truly extraordinary position by God. Uh, it, this is not a position to be um, slighted, uh, to, to think little of. It's, it's a great position. Um, you've made man little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor and given him dominion over everything on the earth that you've created. Uh, and this is all to God's glory. How majestic is your name in all the earth, Okay. Um, this psalmist expresses the right picture, man's humility. Why, have you, why are you mindful of, of him in God's glory? Okay, but go on to then to Psalm 9 and 10. Let me just read portions of it. There's a lot in here. Um, starting in uh, 9, verse 17. The wicked shall return to Sheol... All the nations that forget God. And 19, uh, Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations know that they are but men. Okay, so what, what's fallen man like in this 17 through 20? They're creatures, okay. They've forgotten God, okay. Uh, they want to prevail. In verse 19, arise, O Lord, let not man prevail, okay. And we'll see in a little while that man will, God will arise. He says, now I will arise. Uh, <clears throat> he tries to prevail over God and man. Uh, let the nations know that they are but men. That's one more thing they've forgotten. They've forgotten God. They've forgotten that they're but, but men. Okay, they've forgotten their place. Okay, 
uh, Psalm 10, starting in verse 2. In arrogance, the, the wicked hotly pursue the poor, for the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul. And one, the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. Okay. In the pride of his face, we, we know what that looks like, a proud face. The wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper all the time. Your judgments, Lord, are on high, out of his sight. Are God's judgments really out of our sight? I, they, they are high, they're on high. They're, they're deep and mysterious, we have to understand. But are his judgments... Are his judgments on high? We have them right here. Okay. Um, I mean, out of out of our sight. As for his all his foes, that is the the wicked, he puffs at them, and we've we know what that looks like too. A picture. He says in his, in his heart, "I shall not be moved throughout all generations. I shall not meet adversity." How does that work out for, for people, <laughs> really? I mean, we all die, at least. Um, his mouth is filled with cursing, deceit, oppression. His tongue, on, under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. These things go along with this kind of arrogance. Uh, murder, stealth. Verse 11, he says in his heart, God has forgotten, he has hidden his face. He will never see it. Okay. He has he has a rather robust theology, but it's completely gone off the deep end. Um, verse thirteen: Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, "You will not call to account"? But you do see. The the, the psalmist says to God, "Okay." Verse 18, uh, he, he, he calls on God uh, to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Now, can we see ourselves in this picture, the, what we've had up to now from Genesis 11? Through, can we see ourselves in this picture? Uh, Ourselves personally, mankind in general, the nature of man. This is embedded in the nature of man, the fall, fallen man. Uh, can we see it in our culture? <laughs> I, won't, I won't go there. Um, do we sometimes see this in the church? That's a question I want to ask too later on, you know. Uh, Paul has examples of this, you know, we'll, we'll look at. Like, for instance, the unwillingness to pass the baton. Okay? Um, to prepare for that, to, to disciple for that, to, to do that, to pass the baton. 
uh, affronted, being affronted at, at kind of taking <laughs> a side, you know, uh, a lower position or being forgotten, you know, being kind of out of the picture. And some of this we'll get into next week too, which has more to do with leadership and basically the same idea, ambition. Okay. Okay, so now um, if, uh, if you're like me, you see, kind of, as I've said before, ambition maybe is an ambiguous term, but the, the New Testament doesn't really entertain such, such thoughts. Um, they, <clears throat> the word, the English word ambition is, tr- is used for two different terms in, in the Greek. Uh, and we'll, uh, with hope, hopefully, without getting confused, I want to look at those some of those. Um, the the neg- it uses one Greek word negatively. It uses one positively. Okay. Um, to just to summarize the positive use, it's it's like uh, uh, sometimes it's translated as aspire. I aspire to. Uh, live a quiet life to, uh, um, can't remember the other usage, but we'll look at that. The negative word is, uh, is translated, when, when the word ambition is used, it's always selfish ambition in the, in the ESV. Even though there's only one word, it's always selfish ambition. And we'll, maybe we'll look at that in, in a moment, see that in a moment. Uh, or self-seeking um, uh, rivalry, okay, it's another word, and we'll see how that, where he gets that from. So, first of all, let's look at James 3. I have some advantage over you because I, uh, I knew the passages ahead of time, and I printed them out, so I have them here. I'm not turning there. James three, thirteen. <clears throat> Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. There's the the, the contrary idea, meekness. Um, if you ha- but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, they go together in your hearts. That's where they're at. Do not boast and be false to the truth. Okay. Uh, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Is that, does that sound like too strong of a word? Demonic? He's calling it demonic. Okay. Um, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder, and every vile practice, okay? But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and, the, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, <clears throat> uh, open to reason. Let me take that one for a moment, because that one's the one I... I find myself floundering around in too often is that I'm not open to reason, okay? 
Philippians 4 says, let your reasonableness in the ESV be, be evident, known to everyone. Well, that, that doesn't happen with me, okay? Um, that, that's the opposite, okay? It's, it's, in my case, it's just kind of this immediate gut reaction to things, okay? Unreasonableness. Um, you, know, you notice what comes with ambition, and uh, it's it's bitter jealousy. It's uh, every vile practice, disorder, disorder in the body. Okay. Um, some other passages. Um, I, I, we won't turn here, but there's there's Philippians one seventeen uh, where where Paul talks about you know some preach Christ from envy and rivalry, others from goodwill, and uh, they they see the ones who preach from envy and rivalry uh, think to afflict me in my pr- imprisonment, but he responds to that with rejoicing because Christ is proclaimed, okay? Uh, how do you and I respond to, to this sort of thing, uh, being affronted at being abused or dishonored, irritated, uh, instead of rejoicing, okay, that Christ is proclaimed? Um, this is also used in Romans 2. We won't go there, 2.8. Um, Galatians 5, you can look at that if you want, but we won't dwell too much on it. There, it's, it's, the word is rivalries. It's in a long list of the works of the flesh. They're evident. Okay? And it's contrasted with the, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Okay, um, and and then it ends in verse twenty-four, saying, "And those who belong to Christ have have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires." Okay, now hang on to that thought because it's a thought later on I want to come back to, um, because the opposite of this is. Laying down our life, it's the crucified life. Okay. Um, okay. So that's the negative usage. And just to briefly dwell on the positive interpretation, positive usage of the word ambition, the English word ambition, it's a completely different word. Um, uh, in Romans. 15:20 he says i make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where christ has already been named lest i build on somebody someone else's foundation but as, but as it is written those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand and you'll notice that that's a that's a desire that paul had almost from the very beginning uh, to take the, the word to, to the Gentiles. We see it at various points in his life, emphasized. He said, you, you know, Peter, you're going to the Jews. I'm going to the Gentiles. Um, he, 
he gets into an argument with some Jews and he says, he finally kind of gives up and he, he ends it saying, as for me, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. Okay, so that's a, a desire that God planted in his heart from long ago and he's pursuing that hotly. Um, that word, that same Greek word, is used in 1 Thessalonians 4.11. We urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, love, that is, um, and, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands uh, as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no Now, does that sound like ambition to live quietly, to work with your own hands? Okay. Aspira- synonyms here are aspiration. Uh, aspirations, dreams. You know, you've heard people talking about the dream job. Um, also, d- drive, being highly motivated, wanting strongly. Those things can be have a, a, a negative connotation. They're not used that way in Scripture, in, in the New Testament. Uh, he defines that in, in, in his book as a, a drive or initiative in setting and reaching goals which he says should be an aspect of all Christians. Um, the other word that we looked at in um, James 3 and other passages, that's a, uh, the Greeks use that word a couple of different ways. Uh, mercenary. Uh, mercenary self-seeking. Now think about the mercenary for a moment. He's a person who doesn't have a vested interest in the battle he's in. For for principle, for nation, uh, to protect my people, to advance my people even. He's in it for the money. The other word, the other way they use this is um, electioneering. In fact, uh, the, 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 the word we get our ambition from is is an old word that means going around. It's as in a, a, a person seeking office. He goes around electioneering and uh, um, intriguing for office. Uh, he's putting himself forward. The Greeks, the Greeks took that negatively. Uh, now, they, the, the Greeks also saw the opposite as dishonorable, you know, uh, as slavery, you know, a slave is humbled, okay? Um, synonyms are power-hungry, status-seeking, the drive to po- uh, acquire power, okay? Uh, so if we come to a definition of ambition uh, uh, from the scriptures, from the book, from the book, he's, he defines it this way. Selfish ambition is the self-love that seeks to ascend beyond the skies in a solo flight. And he's kind of referring to his use of the Icarus uh, archetype idea. Uh, but the term, the, it's the ascendancy, the soloness, soloness of it, uh, away from God and the community of fellow creatures, the desire to rise above all others. Okay. Um, 
from the scriptures, uh, th- this is some, what I kind of summarized it as. It's a, m- a mercenary self-promotion, regardless of the discord that's sown by that. In fact, creating discord and rivalries to gain ascendancy. I hope I'm not showing my cards too much by saying, have we seen that <laughs> recently? Okay. It seems to be the kind of the, the way things are done. Um, a self-seeking that is by nature rebellious against God. And, and Scripture calls us to, to watch out for that in our own hearts. Us, as, as Christians, as born-again Christians. Okay? The antidote to, the, to, to this ambition, two, two things. It's the crucified life, dying to self and living to God. The other is the crucified God, Philippians 2. Okay. So in Luke, in Luke, ah, well, there you go. In Luke, um, Nine. Um, Jesus says this. Uh, he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself. You're really forfeiting your real self, the self as God created you and redeemed you. Okay? Uh, that's Christ's calling to his own. Okay? Um, that's also reflected in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. Okay, look at Romans 12, Uh, and just, you know, I'm going to read through this. Just think about what it, the picture it paints of the opposite of ambition, okay? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, Is that what I am? Is my life a sacrifice? Is that, am I, am I trying to preserve my life, or is it a life of sacrifice, dying, okay? Get going through life, giving up, instead of grabbing, grasping, Okay? holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We're worshiping creatures if we're in our right mind. Okay. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
For by the grace, and here he starts talking about the, the, the picture of the church. For by the grace given to me, okay, Paul the apostle, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think of yourself with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. God's assigned this, okay? For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Okay? We're not, uh, we're not on an island by ourselves. No man is an island. Um, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, by who? By God. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal. You notice that we've got an element there in leadership that has that that's has a certain amount of zealousness to it. Okay, um, we'll come back to that next week. Um, the but but that's that's not the ambition that he's that Paul has described elsewhere as being negative. The one who acts, who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor, not gaining honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. That's the positive aspiration that he's talking about. Serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. So what we see here, the opposite is, is there's a a sacrifice in dying to self, there's a sober judgment about oneself, seeing oneself as God declares us to be, reveals us to be, okay? He started revealing us back in chapter 1 of Genesis. It's working his way through. This is what you're like, God is saying. Uh, seeing seeing ourselves, identifying ourselves as being in one body, interrelated, members of one another, seeing our place in the body and the unique contribution we make and that, and that each makes. You know, not just seeing the contribution I make, but seeing the contribution that each one of us makes. Okay? Um, Philippians 2, that was the crucified life, a calling on our lives. Philippians 2, the crucified God. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. I'll stop there for a moment. That's, a, that's what we're driving toward. The, the, the life of our, the day-to-day, lifelong 
sanctification process that we're going through is pushing us toward that 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 goal. Okay. Um, do nothing from selfish ambition. There's that word again. The same negative connotation or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Now, I've stumbled over that idea all my life, (laughs) not being able to quantify it, okay? But there it is. Count, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. What occupies our, our, our efforts, the, the things we pour time into, uh, expense? Uh, is it looking out for the, the interests of others? Do, do, you, do, you, do you meditate on what are the interests of those around you? What's in their best interest? And, and really even considering what, what's their Felt interest, okay? What do they think is their interest, which may or may not be on target? Um, Have this mind, this kind of controlling thought among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross, which is Paul's way of saying there's death, and then there's the worst situation, death on a cross. He was completely familiar with the, the, the Roman world and, and the humility that they, that they imposed on people by this form of death. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. The outcome of this is that God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The only one who is truly and actually at the top of all of it didn't grasp after the top, but humbled himself to this point, okay, to this, to this depth if you will. One of the things that struck me about this book is that all of the things he's describing are things that he intends to kind of uh, point out to Christians. This is your calling, okay? Um, This could be an issue in your life. Look at this, okay? But one of the things that's really struck me is that this can also be taken as an opening to unbelievers, an open door for the gospel. Um, Or the way Schaefer put it, which is really kind of a different thing, but it's similar, 
taking the roof off for unbelievers. Um, ambition, a couple of quotes, ambition is like a treadmill. You, you no sooner get on, uh, you no sooner get to the end of it than you begin again. Okay. Uh, I heard a, a, a discussion the other day of what it's like to be a dictator. <laughs> You know, you get to the top, there's no place to go, and you got to watch out for everybody underneath you, okay? And you know that someday you're going to go, and it may not be pleasant <laughs> the way you go to somebody more ambitious. Uh, another quote, ambitions thin with age, okay? Ambitions thin with age. There will be moments in life when the pursuit of this kind of life yields exhaustion, disappointment, disillusionment. These are moments, these moments will be an open door to the gospel if, we're, if we watch, okay? The bottom line is God's gracious, patient... God, you think of God as being patient? He is. God's gracious, patient work in us is day by day and lifelong exposing the sin of selfish ambition enabling us to die to self and to live to God to love and serve God and to love and serve others even okay rejoice in this okay and give yourself zealously to it (laughs) wholeheartedly Okay, I honestly did aim for time for questions and answers, okay? Although, it's just been questions because I can't answer anything. So, But here we are, late. Thank you.